Well, we are in a series right now, and much of the series is hitting on this idea of love. And we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians in this series. And we've said that there are basically three buckets that you can look at when you look at love. Now, you can look in Jonathan Edwards' writings, and you can look in a bunch of different writings by C.S. Lewis. And then, of course, you can look in 1 Corinthians and all throughout the Bible, and there are different Greek words that you have for love. But there are three buckets that we basically said love comes down to. And the first one is reciprocal love. And that is when you love that which is lovely, that which attract, that's attractive to your eye that pulls you in. And secondly, we said, when you love the hurting, that's benevolent love. That's when you see someone, you said they, they need someone, compassion, mercy. But thirdly, radical love. And that is when you love the undeserving, that which would never cross your mind to love. This is when you would love an enemy, This is when you would love someone that disregards you, someone that has hurt you. And this ethic of love is not just a part of the Christian life. It is actually the brand of the Christian. For Jesus would say that they would know us for our love for one another, that agape love. And so the challenge that we have is that as a church, we can get out of alignment with looking at this as our ideal. We can get out of alignment for looking at this as something we are aiming for. And for us to be able to love others horizontally, we must believe that God loves us deeply vertically. We must trust that I am deeply loved by God. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and 19, we love because he first loved us. So you cannot give what you do not have. You must believe, you must know, you must have certainty that God radically loves you in order for you to radically love other people. This is the heartbeat of the Christian life. And yet, it is one of our great challenges to know for certain that we are deeply loved by God. Part of our biggest challenge, part of our biggest obstacle is that we are too self-conscious. If I were to flash a screen, if I were to take a picture of you all right now and then put it up on the screen, guess who the first person you'd look at? Yourself. And you'd look and you'd be like, oh, I'm looking good today. Or you'd be like, Ty, why wear that shirt? You know, you have all these different things that go through your head. All of us have a hyper self consciousness, some of us more than others, but it's hard for us to be comfortable with ourselves. This is not based upon how you grew up solely, but this is based upon the Garden of Eden. We're in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, it says, the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before sin, Adam and Eve had what we could call a God consciousness. All they thought about was God, and what God thought about then was only that which would matter. But then there came a point when Adam started looking at Eve and wondering, what do you think about me? And Eve started looking at Adam and wondering, what do you think about me? And they began to hide themselves. And they began to put only the good pictures of the selfies up on their news feed because they couldn't show the weak parts of themselves anymore. They had to cover themselves. And then every time they posted something, they made sure that it got a lot of likes. And if it didn't get a lot of likes, they didn't feel liked. 
Because what had happened in the garden was we became self-conscious. And part of our biggest challenge today is we need other people's thoughts to make us feel complete. That is not, that, that was around before social media. We, we need someone's thoughts to make us feel special. And when you were growing up, you should have had a dad that spoke into your life. Even now, my daughters, when they do a cartwheel, I, I, love, I, I love cartwheels, I'm into cartwheels, I can't do a cartwheel. I love the fact that they do cartwheels. But they always say, Daddy, look at me. Whoa, 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 look, 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 watch me, Dad, watch me. Because it's not just them performing, it's me affirming. They need my voice. They need to hear well done. They need to hear good job. And they will walk around broken without those affirming words working inside of their heart. The garden left us feeling incomplete, needing someone else's voice, needing to feel that we're real. And what we've done in the culture is we realize this. We feel this tension. And one of the great movements, even in the 80s, we would talk about self-love. You know, when we look at um, Mark 12, when you say love your neighbor as yourself, some of the logic is, well, I can't love anybody else until I love myself. So I'm this, this year I'm working on self-love. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go, you know, anywhere. I'm just going to work on self. This is me and God, self-love, right? But part of the challenge is the Bible actually never commands us to love ourselves. It assumes we love ourselves. The Bible is not actually, actually, when the Bible talks about self-love, it says it in the negative. Because it talks about here, when Jesus is saying, love your neighbor as yourself, he's saying it more in reference to the fact that you think of yourself a lot. You care for yourself a lot. You nurture yourself a lot. In Ephesians 5, when uh, Paul is talking about a husband and a wife, he says, for the husband, love your wife, love your wife's body like you would love your own. Because you think about yourself. You care for yourself. And so this concept of self-love, even when I was growing up in the, in the, in the 80s, you know, Whitney Houston was like the greatest love of all is, is when you're lo- learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. You missed that when she sang that. Yeah, that's what she was saying. So this has been around for a while. But part of, I believe, the greatest challenge when people get caught up in this idea of self-love is they almost think if I love myself, I'll feel complete. Self-love is just as broken as love from another broken person. You, uh, people get married, they get married, they get married, and they're like, this person's going to complete me, only to find out a, a broken person can't complete a broken person, right? And so s- love of a husband, love of a wife, love of a friend can't complete you, and loving yourself can't complete you. It's good. It's good to value yourself and see your worth, praise God. We must see our worth. But self-love is not God's greatest means by which he wanted us to feel our worth. God's greatest means for us to feel worth and valuable is to know that the great, holy, matchless, and majestic God loves us. That's how we were intended to feel our worth. It is his thoughts. When we know he loves us, that's what changes our lives. Not just knowing that we love ourselves. You ever had a day when... You know, 
And now I'm just talking to single folk, all the single folk. I'm not going to talk about the married folk. Single folk. You ever have a day when you look in the mirror and you feel like you really look good that day? You know what I'm talking about? Like you just look in the mirror and you're like, I'm, I'm popping today. Like today is, like this is, I don't know, it might be the shade. I, I feel good today, right? Then you saw your friends. You see your friends you, and you walk out and your friends are like, okay. And they see you and you're like, uh, thank you, thank you. I'm telling you right now, that look, that doesn't that feel good? Like when you look in the mirror, you're like, I feel good. I love myself. My friends love me. But then like, then you get on the train and there's that, that person that you've been looking at for like a week and they're fine. I mean, they're just like, wow. And they walk by you and they go, you look good today. Whoo, that's different. That's a different feeling. I'm just telling you. It's different. I know in the mirror look good, your friend, but when that person said it, it's different. Because when we think people are great, it makes us feel great, right? The higher we exalt a person, when they look at us, we feel like, oh, you looked at me. Yeah, and this is why we lift up the name. This is why it says lift up the name of Jesus, exalt the name of Jesus. This is why we talk about the greatness, how great is our God. This is why we talk about the majesty of God because if the great, majestic, holy, set-apart God loves me, then I feel I can do anything. If you worship God way up there and believe God's love comes way down here, you can love people all around. And so worship, worshiping God, seeing the beauty of God, the majesty of God, and then knowing that God loves me changes everything about you, changes everything about you. And it cements this idea that you are important, valuable, and worthy. And every day, just like my daughters, as they do their cartwheels and they say, Daddy, look, you are doing that too. You're wanting someone to look at you. You're wanting that affirmation. You're wanting to know you are valuable. And God has set it up so that you would know. Paul in the book of Ephesians says in Ephesians 3, verse 17 through 19, I pray, this was my prayer. I pray you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able, that's what he says, able to comprehend. With all the saints, what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love? And to, ha- to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul here is saying one of my greatest prayers is that you would know the magnitude of God's love for you and the magnitude of God himself. In the text we're going to look at in in 1 Corinthians, it's going to talk about how God's Spirit has been given to us. Now, Jesus prophesied the Holy Spirit's arrival into our lives. And he says that the Holy Spirit has come into our lives. One of the main reasons the Holy Spirit has come into our lives is to know that we are cared for and loved by God. He says in John 14, 17 through 18, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so the work of the Holy Spirit has been placed in our lives so that you would not feel abandoned, but rather you would feel certainty that God is in your life and God loves you. You know, uh, before I get into this text, you know what I do with people all the time? I ask them, 
what, do you, what don't you like about yourself? And you know what? They go on and on and on and on and on. Like, yeah, you know, I need to work out, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know what I'm saying, a brother got to, you know, and I, I need to budget. I need to get better at my budget. And you know another thing, man? I just need to, I don't know, I need to switch up my style, like my clothes. Like, people will go on, like, if you let them, they will talk to you about how much they don't like yourself. Then when you ask them, what do you like about yourself? They're like, this is what they do every time. What do you mean? I'm like, I, I, what I meant the first, with the other question. Our insecurities tend to be so deep. We have so, much chas- we have so many chasms in us. And it's, and it's because of that issue in the garden. It's as if when, I talk, when we have to talk about our flaws and our weaknesses, it's like we're going downhill. But when we talk about the good things, the beauty within inside of us, it's like we're walking uphill because we have this brokenness. And God has given us himself to give us certainty that we are loved, that we would not feel as orphans or abandoned or unloved. In, Rome, in the Roman era, you had the Epicureans, you had the Sophists, all types of philosophers, the Platonists, all these different philosophers. And what they would think about is they would think about the spirit and they would think about this high falluting spirit or the soul. And they would try to contemplate great things and great ideas about a God that is out there. And Paul, in this community of Corinth, Paul would have to correct the way that they thought because they were exalting themselves over one another because of the different philosophers they would believe. And Paul would correct the way that the Spirit was being discussed. And he would say that the Holy Spirit is not just around to make us exalt ourselves over one another, but the Holy Spirit is here so that we know what God thinks. We know how God feels. We know what God would want us to do. And so he says in 1 Corinthians chapter two, now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who, he says, for who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. While they were studying all these different philosophers that were out there and all their great thoughts, Paul says, God has given us his spirit so that we would know God's thoughts. You can't understand what another person thinks, but you can understand what is revealed to you. And he says, the spirit of God has been given to God's people so that we might understand the thoughts of God. In other words, God wants us to know what he thinks. God wants us to know how he feels about a given matter. God wants us to see how he sees. And he has revealed himself. And he'll go on later to talk about a natural man. And he'll say, one person can be reading the Bible and God is just revealing things to them. And another person can be reading the Bible and it's stale and dry and over. And he says, one is operating in the spirit and the other does not either does not have the spirit or is not walking in the spirit. 
In other words, the Spirit is the great teacher. The Spirit is the great communicator. The Spirit is the one that will be able to help you understand what God thinks. It is not, and I have met people who have gone to seminary, and they've thought, they know all types of thoughts about God, and they live like the devil. It is not knowing thoughts about God. It is knowing God, and it is his spirit that is the teacher who teaches you about himself. He says that's the purpose of the spirit. And when you open up God's word, it is so that you can know God deeply, and his spirit would engage you. This is why you can't just read the Bible as if it's some old book that you just occasionally look at. I, you know, sometimes people tell me, I don't like to read the Bible because I don't like to read. So I can't read the Bible because I don't like reading. And I get that. And here's what I ask them. Have you checked your text messages today? So, like, oh, yeah, I got to check my text. You know what I'm saying? I got to check my text because, you know what I'm saying, somebody might want to tell me something, right? And here's what's fascinating. The reason why we are more, we, we're more prone to check a text than to check the text is because we think someone has to say something to us and we think this is old, dry, and just maybe I'll get something out of it today, maybe I won't. We think one person has something to say and we think this is just a book. And when in reality, the Bible says that God breathed out the text so that we might know him and engage him and that he would speak to us. God has something to say to you every day. God is not like peekaboo, I ain't gonna hide, I'm scared. God is not that way. God has something to say to you every day, every day. God has a word for you every day. Every single day, God has a word for you. And let me tell you this, you have a devotional every day. It's not always with Jesus, but you have a devotional every day right? Where you, because you are hungry. Listen, you are hungry to know about yourself. You are hungry to feel better about yourself. You are hungry to know where you're going. You are hungry to feel valued. You are hungry for all those things. And you have replaced one text with another. You have replaced, God wants to feed you, but you have a news feed. All those things, you are, you are working against what God has opened up for you. And you do not need a degree, praise God. You need the spirit of the living God. You do not, you don't. I'm just telling you. I, listen, I was way up in sin reading the Bible. I'm like, mm, I'm getting something out of this. I mean, God, you ain't got to be pure. I'm just telling you, you can still be in your mess, and God still wants to speak to you. So God has given you, God is not giving you a degree. He's given you himself. He has given you himself, the third person of the Trinity, to speak to you. And while you go around saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, God's like, I am looking at you and I want to talk to you. And that is the purpose of the text. That is the purpose of the Bible. It is not to look at old statements about good old Jesus. It is to look at what the living God has to say about the resurrected Savior. And those two, those are miles apart and how you engage the word of God and how you see God and what he has to say about you. And so to hunker down on this, Paul would say this, he'll say this here in Corinth, uh, the Corinthian church, and he'll say this in the book of Colossians. He says this, listen, but we have the mind of Christ. Woo! Do you hear what he's saying there? That 
He's not talking about some kind of lobotomy where he switches brains with Jesus. He's saying that the thought patterns that Jesus had, the way that he saw the Father, and the way that he was able to understand life, future, God has given you that. He has given you the mind of Christ. But you have to access it. He doesn't say you always like the mind, you, you have the mind of Christ like every day. He says, but we have it. We have access to the mind of Christ. And so we must engage the Holy Spirit and engage God's word. And you will be a more secure person and you will be a more confident person and you will feel more valuable and you will know yourself and you will like yourself and you will love yourself. But it begins not with getting a degree, not with getting a boyfriend, not with getting a girlfriend, not with getting another job. It is getting into the text that you haven't been getting into. That's where it begins. And it is not just the text, it is praying and seeking God's face. And so part of our greatest challenge is that when we open up the Bible, we're just trying to get an education. We don't want, to be, we don't want transformation, we want an education. So what happens is the, the greatest thing you can do is just fall out before God and say, God, teach me, speak to me, change me. Holy Spirit, guide me during this time. And maybe that's some of our greatest problems. You know, I, I actually, uh, I went to a movie one time and they, uh, they had run out of um, 3D glasses. I was in there with 3D glasses. And have you ever been in a movie without 3D glasses while everybody else has 3D glasses? It is one of the most depressing things that you could have. Because I'm sitting there like, wow. And people are like, oh, my God, that got me right here. Oh, my God, am I alive? I'm like, yes, ain't nothing happening. It's just on the screen, you know what I'm saying? But that's what's happening in the Bible every day. People are opening up the text like, oh, that got me right here. Oh, snap, that's in my world, that's in my life. And you're like, what? It's just, what does this mean? It's just not that deep. It's just the Bible. It's just some words, you know what I'm saying? You are not, and, that, and, that, and what happens with 3D glasses is it helps you see in another dimension. And I'm just acknowledging to you that the Bible is there so that you can see how God sees and you can think how God thinks and you can speak. He is speaking. He has spoken about your life. He has spoken about your life. So God's thought patterns, Jesus' thought patterns should be the way that we think. And we must, we, we long, we long Right? We long to have that security and become more confident. And we do all the temporal things in the world to become more powerful. But in God's economy, power comes through surrender. It doesn't come through just education and more, more, more. It's less of you. It's waking up maybe a little earlier. But it is diving into his perspective. Don't just look at it as the Bible. Look at it as his mind. I want to understand your thoughts, God. I want to understand your ways, God. I want to know you more. I believe this is a love letter to me, and I want to understand you. And God will speak to you, and you stay committed. And so part of, part of what you have to have more, more solid in your heart, for you to be this person who's abounding in love, you gotta know God loves you. You gotta know that God has spoken in his word about how much he loves you. And our great pinnacle of God's love is the cross of Jesus Christ. And knowing that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We begin with that, 
but knowing that throughout my entire life, I've had broken patterns of sin, and God still loves us. But there are three things that I want you to just, I, want, I pray that will anchor down in your heart. Would you say this with me? Design, concern, commitment. Design, concern, commitment. Say it one more time. Design, concern, commitment. Design, concern, commitment. God has designed you. He didn't just, he did not just throw you together. Kendra, if anybody knows Kendra, she just designed our home. Interior design. Valen, shout out to Valen and Kendra. They all put the stuff together. We, now my wife, she's incredible designer, praise God. Amen, amen. <laughs> we, we, put stuff, we put stuff in our house. But I'm going to just tell you, some people have gifts. Yo, she radically transformed our crib. It looks completely different. And she has this incredible eye. She's like, oh, something could go there and something could go in there. Da, 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 da. And you only, it is such a shame, it is such a shame how much you look at your flaws and you don't see God's design. It's, it's so sad. It's so sad. But here's what God said. All right, we want to know what God says, right? So we can see how God sees and think how God thinks. What did God say? In Psalm 139, for it is it is who you, it is, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We'll praise you because I am remarkably and wonderfully made, or wondrously made. Now, many of you know it's fearfully and wonderfully, depending on the version that you come from, but the scriptures are basically saying, when it says fearfully or remarkably or reverentially or sacredly made, it means that God has set you apart and there is a beauty to you, an awe to you, a sacredness to you. That God meant you to be put up in a studio and looked at and just blown away by. That God didn't have some parts left over. Like he made your brother and sister with the good parts and then just had some stuff leaving around. It was just like, let me just... Ah, you know, got to do something with it. But God designed you. And the, the other part is, and this is what I just want you to hear, you are wondrously made, meaning you are unique. You are uniquely made. When I was, uh, I was just coming out of college, and I, many of you know, um, well, my, my senior year, I had a 1.7 in high school. I barely graduated high school. And um, I was so nervous trying to get a job, my first job. And I was working on a resume. And it took me two hours to work on a resume. I mean, and I'm talking like Microsoft 95 type of hype. I'm not talking about like a dope-looking resume. I'm just like, how do you do the bullet and the indentation? Like, I'm just struggling, right? And um, I remember as I was working on it, my sister... Uh, I was like, man, it took me so long. She said, because you're detailed and you like, you know, you're, you kind of have some perfectionist in you. And I was like, oh, I felt like I was just stupid and I can't get this right. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And um, I started learning like all these flaws actually are a gateway to something great about me. <laughs> As I got older, I worked at Chick-fil-A Praise, praise you. He's, I hear Chick-fil-A is coming here. The, God is drawing the nations to us. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, God. 
Thank you. I could smell the peanut oil now. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and I was, I was uh, working there. And they, when I came in, I was one of the few, I had graduated college at this point. I was one of the few, you know, college graduates working at Chick-fil-A. They're like, hey, we want to make you a manager. We want to make you a manager, okay? Because, you know, we want to te- have these, teach these, mentor these young kids, okay? Bro, I was working the register. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Give me a second. Oh, my God. It was, everything was moving fast and quick. I was like, oh, snap. I'm not good at this. I messed up the lemonade. The lemonade was jacked up. I mean, it was, I was struggling, struggling. And the person was like, we're not going to make you a manager, but that register, keep working that register. <laughs> and then so they were like, no, 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 here's what you do. When you're done with the register, just clean up outside. Just clean up. Just, you know, just clean the outdoor. So that's what I did. So I wasn't going to be the manager. I wasn't going to be mentoring young kids. I was mopping. Here I am with my college degree. I'm mopping up stuff and all this. And, you know, I'm doing the register. And I'll never forget. And to, to this day, you know, I've gotten accolades and other things. To this day, this is the greatest award I've ever received. They gave me employee of the month, right? And I was like, why did y'all give it? They said, James, you are, you're the worst on the lemonade. You're horrible on it. Just, you messed it up. Messed it. You're horrible at the drive-thru. But when you go out there and you meet people, God has given you a gift. Like, people come back to our store because you, you're connecting with them. Thank you so much. And I, a brother almost broke down. Like, I had that award. I had it up on my wall. If I had selfies, then I'd have been like, I, I would have been, yeah, listen, that thing meant something to me. I was a horrible manager. I was horrible at the register, but I was great with people. You see, God made me. God made you. And you have been wonderfully made. You are unique. And your flaws are just, sometimes they seem like they are in neon bright lights every day. But it's because you are not engaging how God feels about you. You are looking in that mirror way too much. And you need, sometimes we need to, to, to shut that mirror down and open up the text and fall back in love with God and see how much God loves us. I got two more of these, but I just want to say this is probably one of the biggest ones. Because, because of social media, we compare ourselves far too much to other people. And so this issue right here, if you can just fall in love with the way God made you and appreciate that you are a tool in God's shed and he has made you uniquely. Say that with me, design, design. God has designed you. The second thing is God is concerned about you. God is concerned about you. God thinks, God thinks about you. Like he's, re- God is into you. Like he's really into you. Listen, listen, this is deep. I don't know nobody. Oh, this is stalker level, praise God. Look at this. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even, listen, but even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than the sparrows. So let's just, God counts the number of hairs on our head. What does he say? One of the greatest mistakes you can make is think that prayer gets God's attention. Prayer doesn't get God's attention. Like, prayer is like a phone call. God's like, oh, <laughs> James is calling. What's up, man? You good? Or what's what you been doing? Prayer doesn't get God's attention. Prayer does not get God's attention on us. 
prayer gets our attention on God, God is always paying attention to us. God is always watching us. God is into us. And he uses this imagery of counting the number of hairs on our head to be able to acknowledge the fact that he has these eyes that go to and fro throughout the earth. And he is watching us, into us. He has the capacity. I mean, you think about, I think about my mom who always like is in my business. And I'm like, the level at which my mom's concern for me is far and away above with the God who made me. He is so concerned about you. The other day I was going down, I was on the BQ train and I was going down the steps and I was doing this, I, I, I still, I'm learning don't run to get the train because it never works out to my favor, but I'm running and I slipped. When I say I slipped, this, this should have been in the Olympics. I slipped so bad, my foot was up, I bust open, um, I, had a, you know, I had a t-shirt on, I bust open my elbow, I'm bleeding everywhere, a guy comes over, he didn't even speak English, he's like, I'm like, uh, thank you, we spoke, I interpreted, I knew what he meant, I had some tissues, I'm on the train, I'm on the train, while I'm on the train, I'm still bleeding, and I was the guy that people look at like, oh my God, I was like... <laughs> How you doing? I was struggling. I'm bleeding everywhere. I'm on the train. Then I get off the train. I'm walking from the train, and I'm getting dizzy now. I have to sit down on the Barclays Center and just catch my breath. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? I walk, and I walk into my office, and I'm just like, this is crazy. And no one was there. Like, my wife would, nobody was there to be like, you okay? Nobody was there. And I'm telling you right now, you will have moments where no one is around, no one sees your pain. Maybe some husbands, you can't tell your wife. You can't tell your wife some of the big, deep areas of brokenness you're feeling. Wife, some things you just like, I can't even go there. There's some things you just can't tell a friend. It's too, it's too confusing. There's some secrets you have that you haven't revealed. And the Bible says that God is the Father who sees in secret. He sees what no one else saw. He knows the brokenness and the pain. And his eyes are constantly on you. God is concerned about you. Would you say that with me? Concern. God is concerned about you. And lastly, God is committed to you. Paul says in Romans 8, 38 through 39, and I am convinced, what a strong word, I'm convinced, I'm certain, I know this. My grandmother would say, I know that I know that I know, praise God. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither our fears for today, for our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Nothing, no power in the sky above or in earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from God, from, from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I'm certain of this. Oh, I know, there's, not, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. And he uses all this imagery of height and depth and angels and demons to say, I have come to the conclusion that nothing, there is nothing there that can separate us from the love of God. Now, 
Notice Paul didn't say, there's nothing that, that I will separate from God for. Like, the reality is God may not separate it from us, but we certainly will separate from God, praise the Lord, somebody. We are unfaithful, and God is faithful when we are unfaithful. No, nothing can separate God. And I love the fact that when Paul wrote this, he doesn't just put demons. He doesn't put just fears. He says life. He says angels. In other words, good things can separate us from God's love as well. It's the good things that can cause us to ignore our mighty God. And God is still committed to us. Even in the midst of us ignoring him, God is still committed to us. God is committed to us. God is, God's love will never leave. And there is nothing that can break that. Nothing that can shake that. And the reason why this is so powerful is that God is not like men. Because people separate. You ever have a friend who y'all had beef and then y'all worked it out, but it was never the same? Like, y'all are cool now, but it's just distance. You know, it just never got to that place where we were really connected again. And I love the story of the prodigal son, because in the prodigal, the story of a young man who leaves home, and when leaving home and rejecting his father, the Bible says his father is waiting for him, saying, come, I've been waiting for you. And God will never separate himself. He will never get distant. He will never get awkward. He will never act weird. He will never kind of ignore you. You know, people who act like they didn't see you. You ever met those people that act like they didn't see you? Praise God. Like God will never be that person. God is always committed to you no matter what. And there will be days when you need to have that certain, you need that, that imagery of being convinced like Paul is convinced. Say that with me, design, concern, commitment. That, that is what God is saying in his word about us. I don't know what to do. When I, when I counsel, I'm, I'm almost at a place now in my counsel where I re- it really doesn't matter what I tell people in counsel. If you are not feeding yourself with the word of God, you'll be back next week. You have to have a diet where God's word feeds you. And in this diet of the mind, you have to have some things you don't take in as much. And you have to figure out what portions you want. And the Holy Spirit is called a counselor because he will speak into your life. And God's word will speak into your life. And you can be more certain of who you are and more convinced of God's love. But it is worthless to go into those same broken cycles and broken habits again and again, day after day, comparing yourself to one person after another, looking at one news feed after another, looking, coveting one person after another. You are so, we are just like Adam and Eve where God gave us all of this in the garden. He says, don't, you can't have this one thing and we stare at that one thing. It doesn't matter what I tell you in counsel. 
It doesn't matter if you listen to all the sermons from the greatest communicators from all across the globe. You've got to learn how to feed yourself. You've got to learn how to walk in the countenance of God's spirit. For to become a more confident person, to become a stronger person, you must be convinced like Paul. And Paul didn't become convinced Overnight, it was through feeding, daily, learning, growing, knowing, and praying. And he changed. And you can change. Listen to what I'm telling you. You can change. I don't care where you're at today. This time next year, you can have, you can have more certainty that God is in your life. You can be more confident of God's love for you. You can change but it is what you are putting into that brain of yours. And you can change today. Say this with me. God, I accept your design of me. God, I accept your concern for me. God, I accept your commitment to me. And with all that, we are saying, God, I know you love me. I know you love me. I know God loves me. Are you convinced of the love of God? Woo. It, will, it will fuel you in your darkest moments. It will keep you in your loneliest days. It will give you confidence in the most unique ways when you know that the sovereign God of the universe loves me. And so that's why we praise God. That's why we call him holy and righteous. We praise him. Lift him up and know this God I'm singing about loves me. Oh, yeah. He loves me. I'm certain of it. It will change you daily. Begin this week and just start reading over his word. Even if you read one verse, say, God, talk to me. God, speak to me. I want to be convinced of your love. I want to be convinced of your ways. I want to know you more. Break the old patterns of false and negative self-talk. Break those old patterns by injecting new food in your soul, by getting new bread and new water in your life. Break those old patterns. And there's things that your mother said about you that are just a lie. There are things that your news feed says about you that are just a lie. There are lies in your belief system that need to be broken. There are lies in your belief system that need to be broken. And you need new truth. You need God's truth. And you need to let the spirit of the living God speak into your life through his word. Would you stand with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over these folks. And I pray, God, that you would break the yoke of lies in their belief system, God. I pray that you would break the yoke of negative self-talk constantly and you would just allow us to flow into the Holy Spirit and know what God says. God has something to say every day. God has a thought about me every day. God has a word for me every day and I don't want to go throughout this day taking in all the marketing all the news, all the imagery from my friends, 
all the insecurities. I don't want to be showered with the doubts of men. I want to be showered with the thoughts of God. I want to be showered with the thoughts of God. I want to be showered in the thoughts of God. And so God, protect us. Protect our minds. Even now, God, let the Holy Spirit do his work in our lives. In Jesus' name.